The second Bible reading comes from the book of Matthew, and this can be found on page 835. We're reading from Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 24. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Elaine. Beautifully read. Hey, guys. We haven't met. My name's Nick. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for braving COVID, the flu, and the rain. It's a pleasure to be here in the Lord's house, as many has already said. Last week was... excuse me, part one of this section where Jesus calls and sends us to go. You know, we might have the three words, we want to pray and then we receive the Spirit and then we go in the power of the Spirit to reach the lust, right? That was last week. This week, we've come to the cost. The costliness of what it means to listen and obey and heed the call of Jesus. The cost of what it means to say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord and I will follow you. Here's a couple of things that Jesus did not say. You will be loved by everyone because of me and you will be very popular. No, he did not say that. I have come to make you exceedingly wealthy and very good looking. 
Some of you are very good looking, but Jesus did not come to do that. He says, follow me and I'll make your life easy and breezy. No, that's not what Jesus came to do. What did Jesus actually say from this passage, just this little section? You will be hated by everyone because of me. Oof. Don't suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus is pulling back the the wistful, whimsical, maybe unthought picture of faith that sometimes we can have. Yes, it's me and Jesus. Life is going to be good. And he's saying it will cost you everything to follow me. Let me put it like this. Grace is costly. Grace is costly. That might sound like an oxymoron, but it's not. Grace, the free gift of God, of forgiveness and life as Jesus dies on your behalf, you need to do nothing to receive it. You just say yes, and you will receive everything that Jesus has for you. And yet, once you say yes, it will cost you your entire life. Let me put it really strongly. You cannot be a Christian if you do not turn your whole life over to the Lordship of Jesus. Completely and utterly saved by nothing that you've done, but turning everything that you are. Look, last week we talked heaps about the Moravians and that cool guy called Zinzendorf. Today, it's Bonhoeffer week, okay? If you haven't got this book, you need this book. If you haven't talked to me for more than 10 minutes, you don't know I love Bonhoeffer. He's one of my spiritual heroes of the faith. This book is called The Cost of Discipleship. And it is such a timely word, even today. Bonhoeffer really clearly makes this distinction between cheap grace and costly grace. Cheap grace and costly grace. He says this, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace, this is it, is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. It's this nice idea of being loved and forgiven and having all these good things from Jesus, but offering nothing in return. When he says discipleship, he means this sense of being Jesus' student, of being Jesus' apprentice, of turning our life towards him and following him. That's cheap grace. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Excuse the, you know, not gender-inclusive language. It was a different time. He speaks to all of us. You see that? Every call that Jesus makes in our life is complete. He demands everything that you are. But in return, he gives you everything that you long for. Not that you've earned it by giving your life. He's already loved you. But as you receive that love, he demands all of us. And so that's what Jesus has for us today. So if you haven't got your Bibles open, we're just going to sit in this nice, lighthearted moment and explore how Jesus demands every part of our lives. Let's do it. Okay. Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Keep your Bibles open. I'm going to backtrack a little bit from where Elaine read and dip into what we looked at last week. But look with me from verse 16 to 20. 
I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. These verses are speaking to the cost that we have to pay in the world. Now, he's speaking specifically to his disciples who are about to go and live out the book of Acts. You go read through the book of Acts, you'll see those verses come to life. It happens. Each part of that section happens in the life of the apostles. But it's, it's, it's just as true for you and I. This is a picture of what does it mean to be called by Jesus and sent by Jesus as we all are. We will face the wrath, the persecution, the difficulty, and the suffering of a world who is opposed to Jesus and therefore is opposed to us. There is no buts about it. He says he's sending us out like sheep among wolves. But in that place of danger is where the gospel shines forth in beauty. Isn't it incredible that, that God's means of, of taking the gospel to the world is to throw his servants into the den of lions and just let them sit there and sweat? <laughs> he, he says, you're going to be flogged. You're going to stand before rulers, kings, emperors. And that's actually going to be this wonderful little unique moment where the gospel is going to go out in a way that it never would have. Isn't that just our God? The way that God wanted to bring life and forgiveness to a world of hatred, and so he decided to step into it and be killed as a means of defeating death. It's, our God is the God of contradiction in a beautiful way. He takes hold of worldly wisdom and turns it on its head. He grabs hold of human weakness and uses it to delight in, in all that is good and true. He is a God who is, is invested deeply in the advancement of the kingdom and deeply invested in you. And yet the way that he wants to do that is to usher you into difficult spaces and usher us, the church, into places where we will be living with pain and difficulty. But that is the place where the gospel will advance in power. One of the early church fathers, his name's Tertullian, he said this really famous quote, which I think is true, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's a little bit grim, but he's saying the early church was built upon the blood of those who died on behalf of Jesus. The church advances through persecution, and it's, through, it's actually because of that persecution that the light of Christ shines. The, the church in China has exploded in the past century and it exploded particularly at the point in which the government cracked down, closed the borders, kicked the missionaries out, and thought that they had a, their hands on it to stop the gospel from going forward. And, and you know, we, we didn't hear anything from the Western world for a while from what's happening in China. And then years later, there are millions upon millions of Christians who are meeting in secret because they know that their life is on the line and their freedom is on the line if they're revealed. They're being shrewd as snakes. But the gospel is just powerfully sweeping through China because despite the oppression and the persecution, it actually adds to the persuasiveness of the message. Who in their right mind would meet in secret threatening you know, a life taken from them? Well, people who believe in the gospel with all their hearts and all their minds. The only reason Jesus would ever ask you to step into this place of difficulty 
is because it's worth it. The gospel, the grace of Jesus is worth you putting your neck on the line. And in fact, it demands that you put your neck on the line. The church in Iran right now is the fastest growing church in the world, part of the church. And it's, it's growing in the face of beheadings, of secret police, of, of oppression and persecution. Why? Because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now, this is, this is a, a, a potentially a, a fear, fear-inducing moment, but do you see how God promises to be with us? Did you see that? Verse, eight, verse 19, but when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, I don't know that we're particularly on the chopping block in the same way that you might be in Iran or China, but the heat is rising somewhat publicly to be a Christian, um, and I worry that many of us are fearful of standing, standing clearly and publicly for Jesus, not because I think we're afraid necessarily of, of um, people disliking us or those sorts of things. I think when we've met Jesus, we know that that's not going to happen. But I think many of us are fearful because we don't think we're good enough. We won't have the right words. Like, how am I going to convince anyone that Jesus is worthwhile? How can I stand before the pressure of, of secular Sydney and say, yes, this is what you should believe? I'm not, I'm not captivating. I'm not logical. I'm not smart. But that's the whole point. You're not. You could never convince anyone into the kingdom. You have no hope of that, even if you were the smartest person on earth. But the Father will give you the words through the Spirit to speak in that moment. Your role is not to be incredibly awesome. Your role is to be obedient, to step forward into the place that God has called you for to serve Jesus and proclaim Jesus and shine Jesus and live Jesus, and we cannot shrink back. Look, Bonhoeffer again, incredible words. Jesus warns them, the disciples, that their way among men will be one of suffering, but there is a miraculous power latent in this suffering. This suffering will help forward their testimony. The Holy Ghost himself will stand by their side and make them invincible. Don't be fearful. Eyes wide open. Look what Jesus is calling us to. But take that step of faith and obedience, knowing that he is beside you and in front of you and behind you and within you. So that's the cost that we're going to bear in the world. The next one, and this is where I think it gets a little bit, you know, a bit more personal. There's a cost in our relationships that Jesus is calling us to. There's, there's a reality of expecting that choosing and, and owning Jesus will cause damage to our families, our friendships, and our relationships. Have a look with me from verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Bonhoeffer said, the cross is the sword God wields on earth. It creates division. Now, Jesus came to bring peace. He did, to bring peace between you and God. This isn't stopping that. What he is saying is that as you receive the peace between you and God it's going to create divisions in your life. It's going to create tension in your family between those who oppose Christ and maybe oppose you because of that. Friendships who don't want to have anything to do with you. 
all sorts of things. And the question I think Jesus is putting before us, whether you've experienced this or not, is are you willing to lose some of the most precious people and precious relationships in your life for the sake of holding firm to him? It's a big call. It's, it's a, it, it is a really hard statement. And there would be people in this room right now who could testify if we got over mic round two up of how they have had division within their life of relationships that have broken down because they've chosen to pursue Jesus. Don't think of it as something that happens out there in you know, China and Iran, as we mentioned before. This is a reality that happens here. It, it does. People lose friendships and relationships. And then you look at verse 37, and I think this is where it really hits, hits the heart. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I don't, I don't think he's opening a door to like leave your husband or wife and be like, well, Jesus told me to, or to be like, hey, son, I'm not going to feed you anymore because I'm too busy doing the work of the Lord. Like, that's not what he's saying, right? I think he's asking the question, who has prominence in your heart? Who is genuinely the number one in your life. And I gotta be honest, I really wrestle with this. I really, I love my family. I love Becca. I love my girls. To think that God would say, hey, could you just love them a little bit less? That doesn't, doesn't ring right. And I, just, I wrestle with this. But as I was prepping this week, I opened up my Bible, which is like one of these journaling Bibles. And I wrote a note here a couple years ago. <clears throat> I wrote this. Addie and Becca literally mean more to me than anything else in this world. Insert the twinnies in there too, that's fine. And yet Jesus must mean more. He is my everything, and in giving them into his care to bear my cross, we will all be where we are meant to be. I read that, and I was like, Pastor Nick, you are wise. That is not where I'm sitting right now. (laughs) But I I think it's true. We actually love the people in our life most when we entrust them into Jesus' care and we put Jesus first in our life. Like, If I am elevating Becca or our girls in my heart and in my life to be number one, I'm putting a weight on them that will crush them and will ultimately crush me. We need to be so clear that Jesus is the king of our heart and the Lord of our life that even our families, we would be happy to lay at his feet. Now, I don't know that he's going to ask that. Often, you know, our greatest ministry is to love our families and and point them to Jesus again and again. But the question is, you need to do some soul searching and I need to do some soul searching. Who is number one in your life? Who is number one in your heart? Now, verse 21 to 22, he, he really makes it clear. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Yes, we do need to do that hard work in our hearts of who's number one. Is it Jesus? Is it someone else? But we also need to recognize that if we do take step after step after step forward in the pilgrimage that Jesus is calling us to, we will have broken relationships. We will be betrayed by people we thought loved us and cared for us. That's reality. That's what he's promising us. And I think we need to get the clarity on are we willing for that? We would never ask for that. We never long for that. But, but are we willing to just go so far with Jesus that whatever happens, whatever he chooses to allow to happen to us, we'll just still hold firm to him? I was reading a story this week of a young Islamic woman in Jerusalem named Amal. Um, and she went through a crisis in her teenage years and was seeking after truth. And so she, after some studying and reading, just got on her knees one night and said, God, 
if you are the God of Islam, I will put on my hijab and I will be a good Muslim woman. God, if you are the God of Christianity, I will take up my Bible and live my whole life for you. And the next day she had a, a vision, a dream. She dreamed, she re- says, she, we reached an oasis and he asked me to grab a book out of the water. He said, the answer you are looking for is inside that book. Open the last pages and you will find the answer there. I read the verse where it says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then I woke up. And from that moment, she devoted her life to Christ. It is a big deal for a young Islamic woman to turn to Christianity. And so her mom, every single time she discovered a Bible in her room, she burnt it. She burnt her Bibles nine times. Um, Her father was completely and utterly distant from her for the rest of her life to date. Uh, and the, the biggest persecution has come from her brother, who, you know, upon hearing that she became a Christian, picked her up and threw her head against a glass window and, you know, created damage on her face and hurt her. And it's just incredible that she, she chose to just persevere with Jesus through that. She continued living in that home for years and refused to renounce Jesus despite what might happen to her because she understood the call that Jesus makes on her life. She knows how beautiful his grace is and understands the costliness of the call. She persevered through a theology degree, now is serving God in like formal ways, but she's chosen to live close to that family because she just desperately wants them to know Jesus. She's experienced these verses and yet with the love of Christ still beckons out forward. I think of a brother here at church whose family, immediate family turned to Christ and his extended family literally disowned him and pretended like they didn't exist anymore. In this church, in our church, this happens. It's not an anomaly. And sometimes we can sit in a comfortable place in North Shore, Sydney, and think this just happens out there. But more often than not, as we get real and vulnerable with each other, we realize that the cost of following Jesus is true even here. But we need to see that there is a greater grace than there is of the cost. It's a big cost to to be willing to see broken relationships, but there's a greater grace. Have a look with me from verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. As Jesus lifts the temperature on the cost and the call, he equally says, don't, don't be afraid. I think the key word there is father, your father's care. You will experience difficulty in your earthly relationships, but never forget you have a perfect heavenly father who loves you so dearly. And yes, you will walk through difficult paths, but don't ever, don't ever make the mistake of thinking God doesn't know and God doesn't care. He knows all the head, hairs on your head. He knows when one of them falls down. You've got a lot of hair on your head. Well, some of you don't have any hair, but we love you still, right? You have a lot of hair on your head, and God knows every single one of them, and he, he delights over you. He cares for you. So in verse 26, it says, do not be afraid of them, and then in verse 31, it says, so don't be afraid as Jesus offers you a clear clarion call of cost. Wow, that was a lot of alliteration. He also gives you the care and the grace that you need to persevere. We may lose friends or family over our allegiance to Jesus, but it's not, it's not us that they're rejecting, it's him. Verse 32 to 33, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. You could read the negative side of disowning, or you could read the positive side, that if you stand firm for Christ, he will always acknowledge you. He will always stand beside you. He will hold fast to you and hold firm to you. 
you will never have to fear that he's not with you or for you. That a huge cost with a greater grace, and that is the way of the gospel. And lastly, and this is where I think it all comes together, is the cost of our cross. Jesus gets real, and I think he's speaking to each one of us, that we, we have to count the cost of what it means to take up our cross and follow him. And he has in mind that literal cross of walking, holding your means of murder up onto a hill so that they might kill you. That's what's on view here. This is the illustration. It's grim. It's a big cost. And he's saying, take up your cross and follow me because anyone who does not is not worthy of me. It's an incredibly large cost. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, like, why would I give up the comfortable life that I have and, and the, the little corner of the world that I've curated for myself and give all that up so that I can go into certain pain and suffering, right? It's a good question. Why would you? You'd be silly to, except for you realize it's a false choice. You don't get to choose between pain and pleasure. Have a look at what Jesus says in verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Our choice is not between pain and pleasure. Our choice is between self-worship and judgment or coming back to our Father and receiving life. There's no middle ground. You might be thinking, well, I just really just don't want to give up what I've got. It will be taken from you one day. Every single one of us will come face to face with the maker of the universe, the one who can throw both body and soul into hell. And we must give an account for the lives that we've led. Yes, there's a costliness to following Jesus, but what's the alternative? You were made for that. There's a cost to be paid, and Jesus has paid it for you on the cross. And all you need to do is say yes and then follow after him. Because the beauty of the cross is that Jesus' death on that cross was just the gateway into resurrection. And your cross-bearing in this world is just a gateway into the eternal pleasure and joy of a, of a kingdom that you could not even imagine. Okay, you might be now, okay, I need to do business with God. I can't just hold to my comfort and enjoy my life. But can I just kind of like keep my head down, play it cool? I believe in Jesus. You know, I send my kids to scripture, maybe even a Christian school. You know, I'll, I'll give to church and turn up two or three times a month and I'll, I'll do the Christian-y things, but we'll just, we'll just keep it heads down, play it cool, play it low. I worry that this is probably where most of us sit. We have a true belief in Jesus. We know that we are sinners and that he has loved us, but we're kind of comfortable just sitting in a place of privately following Jesus. Just live a good life, avoid the bad stuff and keep your head down. Why step up and step forward? For Jesus, when you know it's just going to bring heat to your life and to your family. The world's going to press in on me, and I might even risk my close relationships with my family if Jesus' call here is true. Like, why would I bother doing that? Well, I just want to say a very clear word to you, all of you, brothers and sisters. If that's where you're sitting, there's not an option. If you want to be a Christian and you want to follow Jesus, everything you have is his. There's no option. You don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to keep parts of your life to yourself and other parts that are for him. He's demanding everything. He says, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of me. I know this is a strong word, but I think it's an important word. You have been loved and saved in the grace of Jesus. Never lose that truth, but I worry that some of us use that as a shield to keep God away. 
to say, because I'm loved and forgiven, I don't need to do anything else. Well, he's calling you to come and follow him with your cross on your shoulder. You need to give him everything. Verse 32 to 33, this is so important. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. The word acknowledge kind of sounds like I just need to tip my hat to Jesus, but there's more to that. It's, the word is homologese, and it means to confess, to admit, to declare. Whoever admits and declares and confesses that they belong to Jesus, Jesus will belong to them. But whoever doesn't do that, Jesus says, I don't know you. This is such an important word, a word for us in the comfortable North Shore Sydney where we can, we can keep parts for Jesus and parts for us. And Jesus is saying that is not an option. He needs all of us, every part. And it all comes together in those verses. Verse 38, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Importantly, whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. We'll find it. It's when we are willing to die to ourselves and die in Christ that we actually rise to new life. There needs to be a death before there's a resurrection. We need to lay it all down. It's not a call to perfection. It's a call to obedience. It's a call to take step after step in the pursuit of God. Because we must come and give everything to him if we want to have the life. Now, I've quoted a lot of Bonhoeffer. Get this book. It's so incredible. It's really shaped who I am. But the reason these words are useful is because of the life that he lived. If you don't know his story, he was a German pastor and theologian during the time of Nazi Germany. And there was a point at which he had gone back over to England and was safely in a comfortable church, working a comfortable job, as the heat started to particularly rise in Germany, as the church started to be um, forced to adhere to certain doctrines like Hitler as Fuhrer and all those sorts of things. And Bonhoeffer made the crystal clear call from the comfortable places of London and said, I will go back to Germany because I must stand side by side by my brothers and sisters. He then devoted the rest of his life in Germany to forming these underground Bible college seminaries to prepare people to serve Jesus in Nazi Germany. He, he was putting his neck on the line in a huge way. He was a part of the plot to assassinate Hitler, which creates a lot of ethical questions, and we should talk about that another time. But in, what we've got is a man who is head, head first, giving himself completely to the work of Jesus, to the point that he was killed for him. He, he was eventually captured and placed in a concentration camp he was moved from one concentration camp to another called Flossenburg. And it was in Flossenburg when victory had already been won by the Allied forces that the Germans then took their vendetta upon him and hung him. And yet every single moment of that time, he remained completely crystal clear. Jesus is my everything. You can get his letters that he wrote from prison. They're incredible. This man understood that you could take my life, but I found my life in Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying to you and I today. He's saying, are you willing to give up everything you have to receive more than you could ever imagine? That's it. It's a huge cost, but there's so much more on the other side. And this is the place of faith where we say, yes, Jesus, I know the unknown is before me, and yet I will walk in that place. Bonhoeffer says, God's love for man is altogether different from the love of men for their own flesh and blood. God's love for man means the cross, in the way of discipleship. But that cross and that way are both life and resurrection. 
The beauty of following Jesus is found when you surrender everything. You don't get to enjoy swimming when you go to the shallow end and dip one of your toes in and go, oh no, it's cold. You enjoy swimming when you just launch yourself headfirst and you get in there. It's a bit cold to start with, but it warms up and becomes a place of joy. We need to be people who just dive headfirst into the life that Jesus is calling us to. So just to wrap up, I want to ask you to pull out your phone or if you've got a notebook or something in front of you, I want you to write down a couple of questions that I want you to ask yourself, whether it's later today or, or later this week, questions to just to really wrestle with where you are in your soul and who you are as you stand before Jesus. First question is this. What are you most afraid of happening to you as a follower of Jesus? What are you most afraid of happening to you as a follower of Jesus? Maybe being called a bigot, being rejected by those closest to you, being hampered professionally by your faith, being Andrew Thorburned. I think that's a verb now. What are you most afraid of happening to you as a follower of Jesus? Second question. What are you most afraid that Jesus might ask you to give up? What are you most afraid that Jesus might ask you to give up? Maybe it's that picture of what your life should be. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's certain idols that have more of your heart than Jesus does. What are you most afraid that Jesus might ask you to give up? Where are you most afraid that Jesus might send you or call you? Where are you most afraid that Jesus might send you or call you? Maybe it's out of the North Shore, God forbid. Or even like moving from Australia to an impoverished country. Maybe it's out of your successful career and into ministry or serving in a unique way that you didn't otherwise have space for, where are you most afraid that Jesus might send you or call you? You got them? Got the three questions? You need me to read them again? No? Sweet. So let me leave you with some more fire from Bonhoeffer and then I'll pray. The road to faith passes through obedience to the call of Jesus. The old life is left behind and completely surrendered The disciple is dragged out of his relative security into a life of absolute insecurity, which is, in truth, into the absolute security and safety of the fellowship of Jesus. Let me pray. Father Almighty, you are Lord over all things. You are in control over all things. And yet it is your your will, your desire, that we might step into difficult places and give everything that we are over to the Lordship of Jesus. Please, God, would you help us? Because within ourselves, we can't do that. We love this world too much, but you can reveal to us, you can convict us, and you can change us by your Spirit. So, God, we pray that you would. Pray this week you might um, help us to really see those things that we're holding back from you, those things that we're afraid you might call us to. Lord, help us to realize the place of surrender is the place of freedom. Help us to rest in Jesus and Jesus alone and enjoy the life and grace that he offers that means we can step into unknown places because we are completely secure in him. We ask all this that you might gain all the glory. Amen.